It's me, Dr. Z with JB. Today, John and I talk about the famous frenemies, perfectionism and procrastination. We explore the unique connection between the two, how these particular patterns develop, and what we can do to break the cycle. Also, John makes a tech glitch, finally, and I decide I'm going to just be 22 from now on. Hey, everybody. This time, this time, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, the expert has found some technology problems as I was trying to set up uh, Dr. Z here to uh, to be uh, really fancy pants and, you know, open this pipeline a bit up. But um, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, my Mac has uh, has gone kaput. So I'm going to set a boundary with my Macintosh. Uh, and, uh, and uh, no, so I don't did know. You, I, I'm sorry. Did you, did you have a technical glitch? Sounds like I, I, Dr. I Z, it might, might, I'm resetting to zero and it looks like you're up to nothing right now. Might, or it's three nothing right now. I think if, three. if, uh, three. maybe I, three I, nothing. I, 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 hopefully I just, but didn't I just, I just, you. Want, I just, I just want to hear it again. Did you, did you have a technical glitch? John Barchard himself had a technical yeah. glitch with the, it's me, Dr. Z with JB podcast. <laughs> 100 percent. I just, I, just, I just want to make sure I it took it eight weeks, yeah. but we are here. And I am so thankful <laughs> that everyone else is here with us live on Sunday nights. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And yes, it is me, uh, Dr. Z. I'm not Dr. Z. That's Dr. Z. I'm JB, John Barchard, co-owner of Last Out Media, of course, helping uh, everyone with their. Well, I mean, like, obviously not tonight with with me and Dr. Z uh, with their uh, technical needs, whether you're a streamer, podcaster or, or any type of uh, independent digital creator. Uh, we like to work with people who like to m- make their own communities and voices. Dr. Z is exactly that. That is why we're here. And we're here for a bunch of other different reasons, particularly one of my favorite subjects to get into, because um, as you have eloquently pointed out, um, and to your congratulations, 40,000 followers on Instagram. Yay! Yay! <laughs> uh, done, a, done a wonderful job. And, um, uh, and, and shout out to your graphic designer, uh, uh, who his Tisha. name is escaping me. Tisha. Amazing Tisha work. Amazing. Amazing, amazing, yes, amazing stuff. Uh, so tonight, uh, it is about that those two best friends of perfectionism. And, of course, uh, procrastination, which is like a perfect, perfect subject for both me and Dr. Z, because basically that is the two ends of this podcast in particular. It is perfectionism and procrastination (laughs) all crunching together at once. And somehow, yeah, I don't know which of we've we've had these things planned out for years Uh, and uh, and all at once that anxiety that builds up suddenly pushes that drive to make sure that we're here every Sunday night, of course, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, e- even us, you can see this in full demonstrations. No, we're not. We're not BSing you at all. Like sometimes we're here at 8.05, sometimes it's 8.06, 8.07, and that is all trying to be perfect before a thing, which makes us late, which is obviously not what's going on, uh, and that is why you're going to interpret a lot of stuff for us tonight here, Dr. Z. First and foremost, how are you feeling about your 40K followers and, uh, and, and uh, in this subject in particular tonight? Because it's, it's a favorite of mine, I think. Yeah, the, the 40,000 followers, I still just, I, it's a little overwhelming. That's a lot of eyes. Yes. Um, I'm super grateful, super thankful, um, and I'm so happy that it took off and that it's helping people. That's why I did it in the first place. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of eyes. Yes. Um, and you know, but it's awesome. I've met so many amazing people I've met, you know, I've made friends through Instagram who would have, who would have thought, 
Um, and just really some really smart, interesting people. So um, I'm very grateful, very thankful. And as far as the topic tonight, uh, procrastination and perfectionism. Um, so it's an interesting one. And, you know, we'll talk about it in more detail. But a lot of people don't usually look at those two things as co-occurring. They mm-hmm. usually look at them as, as opposites when, in fact, they both serve the same function. And why do you think uh, that is, uh, first and foremost? They're, they're both avoidance. So, you know, the, the more you procrastinate, you're avoiding fear that you have of failure. You're avoiding discomfort associated with not doing it perfectly. Um, and then perfectionism is, again, the same thing, is, is a fear of doing something not perfect, a fear of doing something even 99% instead of 100 uh, so again, it's that, it's that avoidance. So you focus on something super, super tiny, tiny details, or you keep doing something over and over and over again. And by nature of being perfectionistic, you end up procrastinating. And it's kind of this vicious cycle that goes, you know, anxiety is kind of the, the third wheel of that. And I think, um, trifecta. I think, yes. And I think we all know what's coming in terms of Okay, what's what's the obvious next question once we've identified these things? How do we take those baby steps to eliminate mm-hmm. or at least identify, be aware of yeah. uh, all of those things? And that's actually, I can't, for me personally, I can't tell you because I haven't found a way to be like, oh, hold up. You know, like time management is one thing. Lists are, lists, I, I think this is where, for me personally, a lot of that intersection between uh, anxiety and ADHD lie because this is the mm-hmm. confusing part of it. Like, mm-hmm. are you scatterbrains or, uh, and, and to, to some of that, um, I look at perfectionism as not a negative, you know, and maybe that, right. maybe that is a bad thing. You know, I don't, I don't know. I, I like finding the details in certain things and, and, it, and, and all that stuff. So, uh, where do, where do we start with all this and how do we know, is there a, is there healthy perfectionism? I'd like to start there. No. So no. there's not okay. healthy perfectionism. Um, and one of the things that you asked that's really important is how do you differentiate between, you know, uh, trying to do something your best versus perfectionism? And there's really one way to know the difference. Is your effort, whatever it is that you're doing, interfering with your daily functioning? Is it keeping you up at night? Are you not eating? Are you um, isolating yourself from friends and family? Are you overworking yourself? Are you missing deadlines? So there's 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 ways to observe it, kind of you know, be objective to it, and ask yourself: Is this interfering with my day to day functioning? If the answer is yes, then it's most likely that you are avoiding something because, as we talked about before. You know, the more avoidant behaviors you engage in, it's likely that it's taking you further away from the things that you value. And, you know, if you value being um, a good employee, you value being a good student, if it's interfering with your functioning, it's moving you away from that. So it is a fine line, but it really is about the, the function of why you're doing it. Are you focusing on the details to avoid a fear of failure or are you focusing on the details because you don't care if you fail or not? you're you're attending to those details in that moment uh and where do i guess we we start to you know that can be a dangerous pattern for a very long time if you're not like aware that that's going on uh what is what are some of the things that uh, outside of 
you know, just the, just the general of, oh, man, this is, re-, you know, because I, I don't know if we're going to have uh, a, a recognition, or at least I don't have a recognition um, of just kind of like, uh, well, you're, you're observing one of the things right now, too, is <laughs> it, <laughs> we're, we're right back to that whole lack of sleep and uh, head cold yeah. and all that other stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, but <laughs> I, I, I never know. That, that's the thing. Like, I never know when I'm doing something for maybe weeks at a time that's taking me away from those deadlines and thinking that the thing I'm focusing on is, is actually the problem. Like, is there uh, that, yeah. that, that thimble we can spin to make sure we're not going... Crazy. If you stop, if you stop it, how uncomfortable are you? It's a great question. Are you, right. Yeah. Are you able to stop doing it and at the same time shift sets and engage in something else? Or is that anxiety that you were avoiding by being so focused now present? Right. So if it's, if you start to feel worse when you stop, then it's likely that that over achieving of whatever you were doing was serving an avoidant function. Um, and again, these are things that, you know, I'm in tune to, to pick up on. These are not things that people sitting at home, you know, writing their paper or, or doing a presentation for a deadline are going to sit here and say, hmm, I wonder if I go and purposely do something else and I still feel this angst. And that means I'm avoiding, I mean, no one's, no one's thinking like that, right? right? We're just right. going through the motions. Um, but, you know, typically when patients come into my office, no one's coming in saying, um, I have perfectionistic and procrastinationist. What they're saying is, I'm having a ton of anxiety about work or I'm having a ton of anxiety about, um, you know, school or during exams. I see a lot of college students so during exams, you know, their anxiety just skyrockets. It's normal to be anxious during exams and deadlines and things like that. It's not a normal reaction for your anxiety to be so large that it is interfering with your ability to eat, to sleep, to, to socialize, to interact. So you have to look at your level of baseline anxiety and how far is this taking you, taking you over that. What ends up happening is when, I, you know, are do, when I'm doing their evaluation or when I'm working with them early on, one of the things that I ask them is, would you consider yourself perfectionistic? And there's, you know, for the psychologists that are on here, you, you know what I'm talking about when, when you, you, you are working with somebody and you see that trifecta of perfectionism, um, procrastination, and anxiety. It's just, it's glaring when they start to talk about how they function. And I'll say, are you perfectionistic? And I'll get like a resounding, like, yes. It's like when I ask people, are you a worrier? Yes. Have you been a worrier your whole life? Yes. Yes. Right. Um, You know, so it's, are you perfectionistic? Yes. Have you been like that your whole life? Yes. And then I say, do you procrastinate? And they, oh, I always get this look of yes. You know, almost like they're shocked that I'm asking that because people look at it as laziness. People yeah. look at it as, you know, um, the total opposite of perfectionism, which, which isn't a good extreme either. So procrastination is not lazy. Procrastination is avoiding a feeling that you don't want to have should you finish whatever it is that you're doing. Um, you know, in ADHD, you talked about that, that a lot of times with ADHD, you'll find that people start a project, don't finish it, start a project, don't finish it. And then they're surrounded by all these, you know, kind of half done assignments. Yes. Um, that's a little bit, that's different than procrastination in the sense of that's more of an attention processing kind of overload 
I'll just say situation, yeah, right? Yes. Whereas procrastination is a deliberate attempt to avoid internal discomfort, the icky stuff you don't want to feel. Maybe you grew up in a household where, you know, you getting a 90 was, was you better not come home, right? And, or that wasn't spoken, but there was this undercurrent of, you know, you have, let's say, two very high achieving parents and you have um, very high achieving siblings, you know, it's going to kind of be this, this, this inherent message that you're given. And unless someone in the family steps outside and sees that pattern, it's just going to be how it is. And so you're yep. going to develop that as a strategy because it's what's going to get you through technically. It's just, it may work then, but it doesn't work outside of that family system. And that's why you see so many kids who are unbelievably inappropriately stressed yes. about their grades or about getting into college or, you know, our, our sitter had been with us and she was 14 years old. And if you're on here, hi, I'm using you <laughs> as an example. Um, you know, she was applying to colleges and I remember sitting there saying to her, you're on every single committee under the sun. You are involved in every single activity with that school. Like you yep. are literally involved in so much. I was in nothing. I played tennis. That was it. That was all I did. I wasn't on any committees. I didn't do anything. I played tennis. That was it. And I'm still to this her, day too, right? Still to this okay, day. Good. Yeah. Watching her um, apply to schools. And I remember asking her where she was applying to. And she told me and, you know, she, I remember she said Miami and I was like, oh, you go get into Miami. And I gave, I was kind of like, what do you, what do you, Miami was a safe school when I was applying, <laughs> not that Miami's bit, Miami was my safe school, you know, and they were saying all wow. these schools she was applying to were safe schools. And she's like, no, no, no. And she pulled up what you needed to get into Miami. And it was like, what? Like, wow. no, I never would have gotten into college ever. And the amount of pressure that is on these kids to be on all of these committees and get into these colleges and then feel like they somehow didn't achieve enough because they didn't get into the school of their choice. I was just throwing applications to the wind and whatever stuck. That's where I went. Yeah. And you know, there, but my paper and pencil applications, because there wasn't the internet. <laughs> such a, such a gen X comment. I love it. Especially with the hurricanes so, and all that too. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, so anyway, and, and I, you know, I was watching this and that's their norm. That's their baseline. Yeah. So, so we also have to take into consideration when the person's coming into, you know, my office or when I'm talking to them, their baseline is naturally much higher, let's say, than, than mine was at that age. Not because my parents were any different, just because the, the, the culture of everything. Yes. Um, you know, and I had this conversation with someone that I play tennis with. I was, we were talking about it and we both said the same thing. Our kids, are, they're going to go to college. They're yeah. going to be fine. You know, they, they don't need to go to X, Y, and Z college. And and I think that- Or college, is, by or the way, college. for some. Yeah, yeah. Or college, 100%. And and I think that, that, that peer pressure of just society, peer pressure of other kids, peer pressure of parents, it really sets people up for that procrastination and perfectionism dynamic because- Imagine the feeling that these chil children, because they are children, get applying to these schools or doing their exams when the alternative is, if you don't get in, you fail. Like, there's right. no middle ground. And so, of course, they're petrified to fail because there's so much pressure and so much being, you know, there's so much 
they have to carry with that. And so instead of looking at it as I'll go somewhere else, they look at it as, you know, they suck. And that's not true. Um, but I can't blame them for procrastinating because if that was my alternative outcome, I wouldn't want to feel oh, that either. No. Or in like where we don't know which kid has what amount of resources either. Exactly. And you Correct. don't even know how well you're doing with the amount Correct. of resources you have That's or right. like what public school you did or didn't go That's to right. or private school you didn't. And, and just as a side note here, I know this is, but, but, this is that's a that's a great example and just the other way is true too like i uh love you mom and dad to death but like it's the the opposite of you know for parents parents that don't have certain life experience outside of what they know can mm-hmm. also be very detrimental you know Correct. to the that there is that overworrying part which i think is what affected me most of my life and obviously like a bunch of other stuff moving all the time blah 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 but um uh, I, I just, I, I feel as though there's, there's a, the, yeah, there's, and you can educate yourself in a lot of different ways now. Like the, the stuff that you and I did trying to process through college and even where Gen Zers are looking at this, the process is not the same anymore. Oh my God. No, not even close. And there's going to be a big change too. So all, all that aside, yes, that's the societal pressures, the parental pressures, the mm-hmm. work pressures, the all, all of that stuff to be like, oh man, where is my value? in this world. Yes. Where correct. is my value? But a lot of yeah. times they, a lot of times people don't even know their values because their values as it pertains to perfectionism are inherited from parent, parental messages that have been internalized for so long. So in order to figure out what they value, they have to really step outside themselves. And that's not something that people even know to do, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's kind of like, well, why do you feel you need to be perfect? Well, I don't know because I was told that, but why? Well, I don't <laughs> yes. know because I was told that. Um, you know, and the other thing that can cause this too is, you know, perfectionism and procrastination are very much, as is everything we talk about, about control. Because if you don't have any control over external reinforcement, right? And that's part of the problem is a lot of times people with procrastination and perfectionism depend on people external to them to prove their self-worth, to make them feel like they're good at something. And they don't have that ability to, to kind of generate that internally on their own. So when you have a situation where, let's say, you're growing up in an environment where you bring home an A-plus one day and your parents say, for whatever their reason, well, why did you get a 97? Why didn't you get a 100? It's just one question. You couldn't just... And then the following day, you bring home a 97, you're freaking out because you're going to get in trouble and your parents say, excellent job. Good job. So it's, it's, it's this mixed message that you're constantly getting. And so what ends up happening is the child looks for something that they can control in this uncontrollable reinforcement situation, right? Is that intermittent reinforcement schedule that we talked about? You don't know what you're going to get. It's contingent on their mood. It's contingent on, did they drink today? It's contingent on, you know, are they arguing in their marriage? There's a million different things. Are they sick? Who knows? Um, so the child then develops a strategy of, okay, well, I can control how long I work on something. I can control how long I choose not to work on something, yep. you know, cause procrastination and perfectionism is 100% in your control. They're not about outcome. They're not about, pro- they're not process oriented. They're, they're fixed kind of, you know, stuck situations. And the reason for this is because you have total control over them. What you don't have control over is the degree to which someone perceives your work 
which is very, 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 very hard very. to understand, especially if you are in uh, any arts type of field. Absolutely. Oh, good Lord. It's yep. nothing but nose. So like your your value of yourself is already inherently driven down by the time from 21 to who knows, you That's know, right. 18 to who knows. So that there's a lot. And there's some great comments in here tonight. Again, if you're listening on the podcast, we really urge you to be part of the Sunday night conversations uh, on eight o'clock on Dr. Z's page at Dr. Z underscore psychology. Uh, and you will see psychologist. Great psychologist. Oh, my gosh. My my apologies. That's two for me. That is two. two. Within, two. I'm counting. I'm and, counting. And we're, we're not even two. we're only 23 minutes in. So that's ridiculous. Yeah, you got two. Uh, you got two. <laughs> uh, I'm getting them all out of the way tonight, I guess. Um, Dr. Uh, Heather Alford uh, chiming in here, too. And she says, I see college kids who are treated uh, for failures, uh, changing gears all the time. Schools, majors, it's so devastating. Yeah. Or they view them as failures. And that's 100% the case right now with, I think, college education. It's so much crazy pressure, even getting into that crazy. school, which we've crazy. already been through. If you had pencils. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that because I remember when I had, when my, the babysitters we had were applying, everyone's applying to these particular schools within the university. We didn't have that. It was only like the business school. Other than that, you just kind of applied and then you picked your major. There yeah. wasn't there wasn't these particular schools. You just kind of applied, um, really, except for for business schools. So it's just a whole different level. And not only that, but you have so much. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Constant, unrelenting access. Yes to what everybody else is doing and quote achieving. And this is where, you know, social media comes in. All you're going to see are these people's successes, where they're getting into college, um, the jobs that they're getting, where they're moving to. And that, that fuels that, that, that fire of, mm. okay, well I need to do this. I'm somehow behind. Yes, exactly. And behind, and that's why I keep I like knowing what we know now. And I'm going like behind from what Correct. behind from what? And I Correct. see this a lot. To, you know, as we're discussing athletes all the time. And that's why I hope we can get uh, Brandon Brooks. And if you're unfamiliar with him, he's uh, one of the starting linemen of the Philadelphia Eagles who um, actually really helped me kind of start seeking out help for anxiety because he came out so publicly and do it. And I constantly applaud him for it. But yes, like athletes, especially who are also student athletes on top of that, like, man, there is from and it is getting worse. And this is not old man yelling from a cloud. This is. Youth sports are being cannibalized oh my God. by my generation of, of, of millennials and all that by content, by like taking things way too seriously. And a prime example, last night, my, my brother, God bless him, is one of the best Little League coaches of all time. Such a sweetheart, such a great teacher. The things you hear in the crowd about what towards my brother... Uh, of, of coaching nine and 10 year olds on like, you know, yep, you can hear it. all of the failures in parents' lives coming believe out in their voices, yelling at umps that are making $20 or whatever it believe is it. and not just so trust. Yeah, it's, it's all and that's over the what, place. But that's where it comes from. And I, I, I had a similar situation. My son was in a tennis tournament and there was um, this little girl who was outstanding and just like it looked odd. She was so good and she was so young. The parents... And you're not allowed to coach USCA tennis tour. You're not, you, you, you have to, you can't be involved. Oh my goodness. To the point where the, they, I don't want to give too much detail, but, but, but the, the way that the parents were speaking to their child and to the child's opponent 
I have never seen anything like this. And unfortunately, you know, it's more, I don't want to say it's, it's normal, it but it's normal. more accepted yeah. than I have ever seen. I mean, granted it got handled because it was so out of control, <laughs> yes. but, yeah. but, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's constant, it's ongoing and it really is the parents setting that up and listen, I get it. It's hard. You don't want to see your kid lose. You don't want don't want to see your kid upset but here's where the perfectionism piece comes into play and i see this all the time with a lot of my kind of um like patients between the ages of let's say like 22 and 30 because their parents with all good intentions were so uncomfortable with their children being uncomfortable that they would jump in and save the day and handle the situation out of their own discomfort and depriving their kid the opportunity to emotionally cope and learn those strategies. Bingo. No one's going to die. Nobody is going to fail. Nobody is going to be like, you know, thrown out of their house on the street and and have nowhere to go. You know, it's not going to happen. But what, what the parents don't understand is that, is that by doing that, it's not about their kid being uncomfortable. It's about the parents' discomfort. There's plenty of times where my son is so upset about something, my daughter's so upset about something, and I just want to handle it for them because I hate seeing them like that. But if I do that, I deprive them of developing extremely just essential and necessary life skills because if they don't develop those life skills, fast forward to when they're in college and they're looking for jobs or they get fired or their wife leaves them, that's when the anxiety yes, goes through the roof and right. that they have no control over external variables. They feel like, so they start to, they start to try to control things, which starts to look like perfectionism because they never had control over their emotions. So they start to control other things, which ends up being kind of tangible things like the people that make lists to make lists, to make lists, to make lists. Right. And, but don't actually ever get them done because to actually complete a list means you have to achieve something, which means you risk failing and feeling like crap, so you're just going to continue to do what you're doing. Right. Without understanding that it's making you fail anyway, and it's making you stuck. So there's all these things that happen growing up in a, you know, an environment and, and how it translates into adulthood. Um, but again, a lot of the times with this procrastination, perfectionism tendencies, it really stems from a, an internalized message that somebody developed way early on. I was wondering if if it's uh, could you give maybe some minor, medium, and extreme examples of like what it might sound or hear like uh, with with perfectionism? Yeah, I mean, it could range from you know it can sometimes border on that really delicate line between an obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, perfectionism is very much a part of that, and that cycle of avoiding discomfort. So they do things that don't really logically make sense, but they have associated with doing it with, with emotional relief. Um, so there, that would be an extreme, like um, having to read a certain sentence absolutely perfect in tone and, in, in, you know, in, you know, you know all those voice words, but like, you know, read it perfectly <laughs> without yeah, yeah. pitch. And to, right. Um, to the point where it becomes obsessive because, the fear, the feeling of not doing it properly or in your mind correctly is so unbelievably intolerable. So you develop strategies to keep kind of 
pushing it away, pushing it away. That's me. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. you know, so, uh, um, you know, something that's my, when you say mild, medium and moderate, again, it's all about the degree to which it interferes with your functioning. So if yeah. you're stuck on reading something over and over and over again until you perfect it in your eyes, you're going to be late for work or you're going to, so in that respect, it's, it impairs your functioning or you're so wrapped up in it. You haven't eaten all day, something moderate, um, moderate dysfunction in your life. You know, you, you work on something so much, let's say, and you're working on a project and it just, you get, you just, you can't take it anymore because you've been working, 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 and you haven't taken a break because you want it to be perfect. But there's some part of you that realizes that this isn't, working well it's been dysfunctional but you still have the awareness to kind of switch it off and then mild i mean you're going to get this with high achievers you're going to get it with high functioning anxiety high functioning depression part of that is that need to be detail oriented um it's it's that need to um you know, want to be right, want to be the best. And that's sometimes just part of people's personalities, which isn't a bad thing, but it can become a bad thing if not being the best at something is the the discomfort of it is so overwhelming that you do a million different things to avoid feeling it. Yes. And, and I, if you all, if that is you, and that does sound like you, uh, one of the best things that I, I think that's a powerful tool that detailed, oriented that all that but when you if you're not willing to say this is the direction i'm choosing because i think i'm right but i know i can be wrong and adjust along the way right it's going to suck but i can handle it yes exactly if you have that mentality that's not what we're talking about if you have the it has to be this way and if one of those details is out of place that sends you into the tasmanian devil zone that's right you have perfectionism that's right yes that's right that's right. I like the assessment. Yes. And, and people will acknowledge that when they get into that mode, they, it's almost as if they're, they, they've checked out. They're so unbelievably avoidant of what's going on in the moment that they are just someplace else. Um, but again, it's very much a control thing. It's a control of your emotions. It's a control of the work that you're doing. It's, it's like this false, it's like this illusion of control. Cause really it's not helping you control anything. It's making you more out of control. Um, so it's an illusion of control. Like worry. Worry is an illusion of control. It gives you this temporary feeling of, you know, I've got it together. But, but really, you don't. It's, and is it's that the opposite. The extreme example is that, could that you know, you said uh, OCD is, if you know, hoarding and all that. Is that where that kind of comes in or is that in a different category? <sighs> hoarding is a type of OCD. Yeah. Um, there's different types of OCD. There's, you know, health OCD. There's, um, there's like existential OCD, which is, um, I find fascinating. It's, let me, let me just say, let me just say this, that when I talk about OCD, understand this isn't, I just need to make my bed every morning. You know, I'm so OCD. I'm such a neat freak or, you know, I have to, I have to make sure this is perfectly hung up in my closet. Cause like, I, I just can't function. That's not OCD. OCD is a debilitating, debilitating anxiety. In my opinion, one of the most debilitating anxiety disorders. Hmm. There isn't, you don't, the difference between someone who's a neat freak who says I'm so OCD and this is that a person who has OCD gets absolutely zero pleasure and zero enjoyment from doing the thing that they feel that they, that, that they feel compelled to do. So somebody who needs to vacuum every single night, you know, before they go to bed, 
it gives them a sense of calm, right? Or somebody needs to clean all the time. OCD gives no sense of calm. Um, they're not telling people they're so OCD because they're embarrassed, they're shamed, there's guilt, there's all this stuff wrapped up in it. So when we're talking about OCD in that respect, it is not something that um, you can just turn off. So it's not something that you can just stop because in order to stop it, you need to give up this illusion of control, which for people with OCD is brutally uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And like, I I feel as though if you are kind of in that point, there's a, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of work to do, you know, like to, to try and. Oh, you need, you need, you need behavior therapy. Yeah. Yeah, You need behavior therapy and medication. OCD is, is a very specialized treatment, which I just, while we're on the topic, if anybody has OCD and they've been properly diagnosed, you need to see somebody who is a specialist in OCD. Um, skip you, know, you in that they, case. Step one is skip them, me. I'll, right? I'll evaluate them. I will refer them out. If it's somebody that has like features of it, that's part of something else, like procrastination and perfectionism, that's different. Um, but OCD in and of itself, true OCD is a very specialized treatment protocol and, um, you need certain medications. It's a whole different situation. So, um, Good. That's different. I mean, there's, that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and there's other stuff. There's like existential, I was talking about existential OCD, which is, you can imagine the level of the need for control in this and the need for like finding the perfect solution. This is the stuff that occasionally, you know, will keep me up at night when we have those questions of like, why is there anything at all? <laughs> right? yes, yes. Why, like, why, why, why is there, why, what was before any of this? Like nothing, but then that has to still be something. And you start to get into this like, you know, and before you know it, you're just like paralyzed with fear because you realize you have absolutely no idea where you are and what's going on anyway. And so you, but the difference is, is, you know, when I have those thoughts, I can pull myself out of it and say like, all right, you got, you got to go to bed. Um, but for people with OCD that need to control and get that perfect response and that perfect answer. And even when they do get the perfect answer or their worry is, is calmed by something it is so, so short-lived and temporary, which is the hallmark of OCD. It's that in their effort to squash that, that nervousness, that, it's not even nervous, squash that horrible feeling, by, by feeling like you did it perfectly, what you're doing is you're confirming that you only can take that feeling away if you do it perfectly. And so when the feeling comes up again, you now have to do it again. And, and so it becomes this vicious cycle. And there's a lot of associating it with things that were benign at first that now are or responsible. You know, for example, I had a patient that, um, for whatever reason, just was laying in her bed one night and she had moved it. Just remind me, cause you said you moved all over. Yes. Um, she was a student at Penn. This is when I was, I was, I think I was a grad student still. I was, I was seeing patients. Um, and she came to me and she remembers laying in bed one night and just having these horrible, horrible intrusive thoughts that you can't get rid of, yeah. which is another part of OCD. It's not occasional. It's constant. It's always there. Yeah. And she, for some reason, she just thought that her ceiling was going to fall. And, 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 but if she, if she thought about her parents and each, each person in her family, that they, she could make them safe somehow. And from that point forward, there was this ritual that she developed that literally kept her up for hours Ugh. because she had to do it perfectly. And just so, or else, the house was going to collapse. And so the danger was every time that she did it perfectly, oh, look, it worked because my ceiling didn't collapse. 
So it must be because that's so I'm going to do it again. And so you end up making these. A lot of these, ca- causation correlation. Ca- things. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That are, that are irrational and illogical. So, um, you know, that's like, an, that's when perfection, perfectionism gets to a point where it's, it's, it's super dysfunctional that it's so out of your control that you come up with ways to try to control it. And that's when you kind of teeter on that going into OCD type. Now that's not the only way OCD obviously, but that can be a way that it kind of moves into that direction. Not all the time, but that's just one small way that that can happen. Okay. That, and that's, yeah, that's, Great to know and honestly understand because, like, I know you you harp on this a lot, and I'm glad that you do in terms of like pe- people throwing those oh, terms it. out so lightly. Like, yeah. oh, I've got OCD about this or yeah. ADHD. I'm so about ADHD. That. I'm right. so I have so much anxiety. Like, man, that's you know, it's that. <laughs> and yeah. some some of those words, once you understand what those people are going through, you're like, yeah. oh my god, I would never say yes. that out loud. Correct. You know, right. so I'm right. I'm so happy you you say those yeah. things. And one of the things I do want to share, and honestly, I'm a little nervous to share it with y'all, but I think it's important to share and ask Dr. Z, because one of the things as you're going through all this, especially with perfectionism, uh, I I remember one instance in particular that was very confusing to me on how to handle the emotion. And I don't really know what it was, and to this day, I don't really know what happened, but it was on a night where I'm coming home from a radio shift. And it was one of those nights where I was very much in my head on... Am I really good at this or not? Like, mm-hmm. it, it, is my value here or is it there? And I placed so much emphasis on that one particular shift that on my way home, late night, lack of sleep, adding all that uh, in there too. But like such a euphoric high of probably the, and this is probably the perfectionism now that I'm, I'm hearing about it. Like, I nailed it. In my head, I nailed it. Whatever it was. And was like, Screaming at the top of my lungs, I can do this. I can do this. And it was an, like an, almost an out-of-body experience, followed by one of the most severe crashes after that that I've ever experienced, coming home and parking and then going into that semi-panic attack, but still very relevant on what's going on. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just a natural, like extreme example of emotions and, and lack of sleep and everything combining into that yeah. perfection as you're talking about, or is that just a, I don't know what that was. I have no idea what that was. I mean, <laughs> and it happened, it happens in a short period of time. Very like short. Like I would say within yeah. 35 to 45 minutes, the extremist yeah. pleasure I've ever had in my life outside of just looking back on it yeah. to the lowest low of ever possible. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it could be, it could be a couple things and it, yeah. it, it could be it, very much so lack of sleep. When you do not sleep, your emotion regulation abilities are shit, right? Like you, you will find it's yourself, part of it. <laughs> you know, when I, if I don't sleep, I am so much more labile, meaning up and down in my mood. I could be like, cry about something that's just normally wouldn't make me cry, but it's just so overwhelming and agitating or, or get angry a lot quicker or, and, and again, the same goes for the opposite emotions, happy, joyful, things like that. And because our, our brains, we talked about this when our brains get really stressed or lack of sleep or something like that, our brains take shortcuts because our, we're lazy. Our brains are kind of lazy by nature. It likes, they're called heuristics. It's these cognitive heuristics. Uh. We, we, we use these. And I'm so sorry. Can you, can you spell that for me? Cause I am heuristics. Is that what you, what you said? <laughs> I can't spell it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll look it up. I'll look it up for us. I'm, I just put you on the spot like that. I'll look it up. 
But it's def- do we know what letter it starts with? That's all I yeah. C A T. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Uh, well, we'll look that up. But yes, explain to the people what. I missed the word again. It's so ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I, I'm going to say dichotomous way of thinking, all or nothing thinking. It helps us take shortcuts and make sense of the world in a quick pace. And so it's the same with emotions. It's e- it's almost easier to be high or low and not in this gray area because gray area means you have to tolerate something. You have to yes. sit with something. If you're very high or very low, um, you know, it's 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 very much avoiding that middle ground. So. Ah, go away, uh, go away, come back. Heuristic, H E U R I S T I C for <laughs> the listeners you. at home. Thank you very much for saving us. I have forty thousand followers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, to oh, Warrior U Australia, thank you all as well for the proper proper spelling. Oh, he's of- gonna laugh at me. He's gonna make fun of me. <laughs> Today's word is heuristic. Heuristic. Oh man, learn, learn, learn a, learn a, learn a word a day. For oh, googled it. There we go. See, see. Google is our brains. By the way, educator, Google is our brains now. Teach us how to think. Anyway. Oh my god. Okay. So um, yeah. So it's easier to have those highs and lows because it's less. It's less stress on our brains. It's less stress. It's less pressure. Um, it's way easier to fly off the handle or to shut down completely than it is to sit in your stuff and, you know, actively manage how you're going to respond to somebody. Um, you know, it's like if I'm driving with my kids in the car and they're screaming, should I sit there and calmly like, you know, yeah, probably, but like, I don't. I don't. It's just, (laughs) and I just freak out because it's just, it's too much. And so it's easier to do that. I also think that, you know, I I definitely think sleep probably played a role in that. But I also think because you have that, you know, perfectionism and that, and I know, you know, doing radio shows for so long, you know, you have, you're very much at the mercy of how people perceive you. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, you're, you're, you're based on ratings, right? right? You can't, you can't dictate what your ratings are. Your ratings are going to be dictated to you. It is what it is. Um, so it's a lot of pressure when you're, when you have a job that's kind of externally validated. Um, and you know, I think for you, because that's been there and because that perfectionism is there and because that's been something that's been sitting with you for a really long time. When your brain takes in and accepts this information of like, I just did a kick-ass job. Mm-hmm. Go me. That's great. But it's got to be however, for the right reasons. <laughs> however, yeah. no, not even that. But oh, however, no. imagine how uncomfortable and not used to you are with a statement like that. And I think the reason why it felt so good for you isn't it felt so extreme, but I also think it's because you've never had it to that extent. You've never been that 100% confident. So it could have been just that your average is so far this way that what was a normal response felt like this giant response. That makes sense. Yep. Um, And then the fall from that to, 
you know, your brain's like, oh, no, 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 don't you dare think you're good at something. <laughs> Come <laughs> back. Come back here. <laughs> well, I'm not finishing you yet. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, you come back that way and, and there's the crash because you were a little higher than you normally were. Yep. But I really I really think that, that that's part of it too. It's, you know, you, yeah, come back here. You, it's like, I'm not going to let you go there. <laughs> yeah. No. And, and uh, Ellie Jane uh, version, uh, underscore version 2.0, such a great comment. And this is, this is pretty much like that entire feeling. It's such an arduous, uh, see it in another word, I probably need to, uh, arduous, arduous, uh, to, I, I speak for a living, uh, a task to keep having the internal conversations to remind yourself. And you too. <laughs> what Ellie's saying is it's exhausting to continue to have that conversation with you all the time. And it is. I yes. hate it. I hate yes. it. I hate it. And so what do you do? And so what God. do you do instead? Uh, we go cope with it somewhere else, like with... You avoid it. Yes. Correct. By uh, a behavior that I guarantee you is not in line with what you value. Yeah. Oh, 100%. It's what right? somebody else values or what uh, somebody else, you know, what, you're, what you think someone else values, which is ridiculous because uh, like the more and more, and maybe it is just true that when you hit, and, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this because you're 25, I'm 38. <laughs> And I love you. And and <laughs> when I honestly, it's simultaneously with my uh, with my daughter being bored, probably in the last month there too, prepping for that for the last nine months. Suddenly, I just don't give a shit anymore about what other people think. Yeah, and I see, think I'm only a, I'm 23, so it's very yeah, far away. So you got to listen. You got to listen to me. I have to learn. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, what a horrifying thought. Uh, uh, the uh, the um, the 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 freedom of not caring about the values oh. that other people perceive is the most yes. freeing thing I can tell you that has happened in the last eight months. Yes, I don't, it is. And if you would allow me to get on my soapbox for two minutes, because I want to tell everybody how freeing it is, it is better than anything that has happened in my fucking life. And I'm not in yes. any success that I ever had is paled in comparison to it. I no longer care about the the valuable whatever it is i thought was valuable because it's and and damn it my parents were right like the family at the end of the day who respects that that little small inner circle there's yep, the yep. reason why we feel so shitty is because we've given our time to a lot of great and shitty people at the same time that's exhausting it's yeah. exhausting and if you yeah. have a 20-year pattern of, as Dr. Z has pointed out eloquently, I think, through the last seven weeks, the moment that people view you as one way, and it doesn't matter which form of life that is, career, family, uh, all of that, all of that, you know, stuff that just comes from, from whatever is just, like, it doesn't, I don't know why else to say it. It doesn't matter. And, and, and it, it takes exist. a long time. To, it doesn't exist. Thank it's you. It's not real. Yeah, it's not real. It's a narrative. It's a story that we tell ourselves. I had to take my, my put my charger in, so I'm not using my earbuds. I know, I, know, I noticed. But te- that's, tech- <laughs> that's not a technicality. That's not a technical difficulty. You're still, <laughs> I'm still counting that as uh, of two in a row here. So, so yeah, so... <laughs> So I forgot where I was saying. <laughs> we were just getting into like, you know, that 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 freeing feeling of just yes. letting go of all those uh, yes. outside values. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, again, I'm, I don't have as much life experience as you. because no. 
I know I said I was I was 23. I lied. I'm really 22. So <laughs> the mo- um, I mean, like a dynam- dynamite uh, career you have for being only 22, I'd like to point out as well. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that I agree with you 100%. Our narrative, that's what I'm saying, our narrative is a story that we tell ourselves about ourselves that was taught to us and we internalized it and believed it to be true. All it was was a narrative of how we should be, how we should feel, how we should look, how we should, you know, whatever, look at the world. Um, It's not real. It's just what we were told. And so at a certain point, your narrative is either going to continue to work for you or you're going to hit walls and anxiety and depression are going to start to develop because it's not working for you anymore. It doesn't make sense anymore. Um, And what you're talking about, I experienced after my third kid. Um, that I had when I was very young. 17? <laughs> There's a whole episode of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. See what happens at 8.58 p.m. on a Sunday? This is why you got to come hang out for the okay. life. So I yes. had that with my third kid, and I can tell you exactly how I knew things were different because, and people watching this will know, my first kid, I knew every school event, every parent's name. I cut his fruit up for him. I had, like, everything was just, so, I had to be a certain way. Yes. My second, you know, people joke, like, the second one's eating off the floor, but like, and that <laughs> is true. But the third, it, it wasn't just like, oh, the third does whatever they want. Something changed within me with my third. And it was very odd for me because I usually, with everything else in my life, I'm very on the ball with work. I'm very, you know, very um, kind of type A-ish with my work and with other things in my life. So this was a very strange feeling for me. But I genuinely stopped giving a fuck (laughs) because I was busy with work. I had two other kids running around. I literally didn't have the time, but in the past I would have attempted to fit everything in and I would have absolutely burnt myself out. This time something had to give and giving up that control was really difficult because I remember thinking, God, I'm like such a crappy mom for her. Like, I I don't know any of her friends' names. I don't know any of the school events. I don't know any, I was forgetting it was show and tell. I mean, for me to forget show and tell, like, I, you know, the teachers are texting me like you forgot her show and tell again. And I remember thinking like, God, I suck. But in reality, if you take a step back and you look at it, three kids under the age of eight at the time, I'm only 23. (laughs) (laughs) You snuck it right in there. I, I, I work. Right. And I, I, I have like, you know, I write articles, I, you know, all these things. I didn't have the time and I have a social life and I play tennis. Like there was so many things that I wanted to do and something had to give and I had to get really comfortable with not looking at my lack of caring about those types of things with the other moms were doing, yeah. who was doing this and who had this, and, um, you know, what kids potty trained before the other one. And I genuinely didn't care not because I didn't love my kid or I didn't want them to succeed, but because it didn't matter if I was obsessing over it or not. And and maybe having, you know, being three kids out, it was easier for me to see like, they're all going to go to the bathroom, yeah. right? Yeah. They're all going to go to first grade. So 
it allowed me to take a step back. But I, but for a while, it was very difficult for me because I looked at it as being lazy. I looked at it as being a bad mom. And it took me a really long time to realize that not caring about that stuff probably made me a better mom because it made me way, way less uptight. Oh, sure yeah. I wouldn't disagree with that, but, but way less uptight, way less open to be able to put other things in my life that I actually enjoy. Um, so, yeah. But do oh, I, oh. I feel lazy? Yeah, absolutely. And when I look at other moms, you know, God bless them, who, who are, you know, pureeing baby food and and know exactly, you know, when, when their kid went to the bathroom and have playdates lined up left and right. Do I look at them and, and get, you know, envious? Of course I do. Do I wish I could do that? Of course I do. But then I have to take a step back and say, and I'm going to be brutally honest, they get enjoyment from that. Oh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. I don't get enjoyment from making pureed baby food and having my schedule booked with playdates. That's just, I don't operate like that. And it took me a long time to be okay with that and not have that be synonymous with a, with a lazy mom or, you know, the perfect, talking about friend, the perfect mom. Yeah. It, well, it's it, just, it, it, I agree that freedom you give up is just like, oh, <laughs> or that, 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 that what you give up, that freedom is just absolutely, overwhelming. Absolutely. Yeah. And you don't realize, and even you describing that, like it's, probably don't realize that that's happening either you know and i and my two stepsons have autism so like naturally uh my better half carrie is you know in in a lot of the discussion which we are talking about tonight just in this, in school environments in general that's where you're describing you're comparing your children to others you're comparing yourself to Absolutely. other moms and you know i think that's inherent too or just like oh uh, this child with it, it autism just, at the same feels, age has is further along than than G or Crosby or whatever it is. Yeah, and it's just. And, but then you make your child feel bad because you're putting your exactly. stuff on that by like, well, why aren't you going to the bathroom yet? Like, why your friends are potty chewing and, and like, that's where it starts. That's where the cycle comes right back in. You know, and like it's more yeah. about it's more about me being a you know me being a anxious mom and hoping that my child will be better like what what does that even mean (laughs) better at what better better. at the standardized testing that's not going to help your life out in the 18 years yes better at pooping there we go (laughs) unreal i love it 40,000 followers everybody just hit it this past week i can poop better than you and that's there's a master's involved with that somewhere, right? To make that statement? Okay, great. And I'm a better mom for it. <laughs> uh and she yeah, and she really is. I, I can uh, I can tell that. Um I uh in and uh, as we're uh, going through here, uh, uh Ellie with actually a, a good question uh in something I think you you harp on a lot of the time and I'm uh, I think I might this might be, I believe, depending on your answer, a Dr. Z translator from me. Uh, but uh, what is your advice when you get negative backlash from people once you start, you know, kind of setting those boundaries, um, re- replacing that value of someone else's with your own, uh, you know, because th- I guess that's that's the scary part for everyone. But what uh, what's that first step if you're scared of the backlash of, of somebody responding to the new you, let's say? You have to be scared and do it at the same time. Fuck them. There is there is no easy there <laughs> is no saying, easy yeah. answer to that. You have to be scared and at the same time do the thing you're scared of. And and to be honest with you, if you do garner a reaction and not 
immediately because sometimes maybe it is. It takes a, a, a moment or two for someone in your life to adjust to that new you. But uh, if it continues, if you get that reaction all the time, um, that they're, they're helping you in a way. Uh, and that's, well, that's, that's what I'd like to talked about that when you change yep. your patterns of behavior you and you throw everybody else off balance which includes other moms in your circle when you throw them off balance you have to see where the chips fall and if they are still connected to you great if they're not you're allowed to outgrow people yeah and thank god that you did yes thank god those chips aren't on your table is what i'm telling you because those chips as dr z's pointed out tonight elegantly and, and sometimes not elegantly i can't even say that good lord how many mistakes tonight uh the the moment that happens, all those chips were not valuable to begin that's with. Right. They were a phantom of your imagination. That's right. And that's what we're trying that's to drive home tonight. Narrative you were told. That's exactly right. It literally has no value, so don't place any on it. Correct. Um, uh, Dr. C, anything that we need to know as we're heading out here, uh, such another fantastic night for session eight. Uh, thanks again for uh, tuning in live, everyone. Great questions, great comments. Uh, Kellen uh, is in here saying Dr. Z is Kellen the best. Is in here. And, and she is. That is absolutely true. Um, She's my tennis buddy. Oh, nice. She uh, gets it. She knows. <laughs> and if this helped you in, in any way, a little bit, uh, a medium bit, a lot of bit, please, please, please rate, review, subscribe on the old Apple podcast. If that is where you're getting your podcast, make sure you're following on Spotify. You'll get notifications on when uh, new podcasts go up. And you're going to need to know that because, ladies and gentlemen, not everything is going to be a part of life. We're going to start adding things to that and hopefully a lot more once we, you know, master our uh, perfectionism procrastination of our own over here on this side. Trust me, it is a it is a mutual between you and I, people listening and watching. It is we're going we're all going through the same stuff for a reason. Uh, so I mean, it took us what, a year and a half of procrastinating? Yeah, year and a half of procrastinating. I've been like, okay. All right. And even now, we know th- and this is what's great. We know this wasn't going to be perfect. And that's Correct. the point. That's the point. We wanted this to be, when we looked at each other and, and, and that final moment we decided to do this, we're like, yes, this should just, let's grow organically. Yeah. And for you that are tuning in and, and watching and listening all this stuff, this is your show too. That's the point of it. You, right. t- you tell us where you need the most help and let's go attack that. Obviously, we need to do a lot more narcissism because, oh boy, you guys are listening yes. to that heavy and heavy yes. and often and we appreciate that stuff let us yeah. know if you want an entire 10-part series on narcissism let's try and figure that out um uh my dms i know are always open dr z is incredibly busy so if you can't get a hold of her for any reason i am right there i am happy to be our community leader uh more or less because uh that's the that's the role i want it to be for this i think that i Feel like I can represent a little piece of every single one of you, but not all of you. Uh, I just, I, and Dr. Z with an amazing amount of empathy and understanding, and that is why she is doing the things that she is doing, and that's why we're, we're we want to continue to do this. So, thank you again as always for tuning in, Dr. Z. Your 25 year old self, great advice again, to, or what do we say, 22, 22 year old advice. 20, yeah, thanks. You are the Doogie Hauser of psychology, and we appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't know what that is, go Google that. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and oh, yes, like see stuff like this here towards the end. These type of questions are great. General, general is good, uh, but, but leave these in my DMs. When, when should I leave my marriage? That's very hard. Now, obviously, it's a broad question, but it will certainly fit into one of the sessions that we, uh, we go through here. So 
Uh, Dr. Z, we'll see you next Sunday. Yes, sounds good. Same bedtime, same bed channel. It's me with Dr. Z, and I'm JB. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye Bye-bye.